Today we're starting a new series. Uh, it's called Rhythms. And uh, we've been kind of working to this point now for the last several months. Everything we've been talking about up until this point has been leading us to the place where we are going to begin talking about rhythms. Now, you may have heard this called spiritual disciplines. You may have heard this called habits. We actually did a series called Habits not too long ago. There will be a little bit of overlap between habits and rhythms, but there's going to be a lot that's not overlap. And so I'm glad that you're here. Our guests that are in the room, um, I'm thrilled that you're with us. Uh, If you want to kind of catch up to where we are, we just came off of a series called Rooted, where we really unpacked what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Christ, and a different understanding of and when I say different, it's, you always have to be careful when you talk about a different understanding of things. People think they know what it means, but a different understanding of sin. Not that we take away what sin is that has been held up through Orthodox Christianity, but we understand really how God sees it, which in our definition of what sin is, sin is anything that keeps us from doing the things that God has called us to do, which are to love him and to love others. So as we look through the Ten Commandments, we look through many of the law, much of the law of the Old Testament, much of that is really about how do you love people and how do you love God? For example, have no other gods before me does not simply mean you better not worship anybody but God or God's going to be mad. Instead, he's just saying, listen, I, I'm the only one here. <laughs> I'm the only one here, so so love me, and don't worry about transferring that to thing to people that aren't here or gods that don't exist. Um, when we talk about you know do not steal, uh, when we steal from people, and we're not showing them the love that they are due because they are image bearers of God. Instead, we want to take their stuff so they don't have it anymore, and we have it instead. You know, when we begin to look at sin through the lens of what Jesus said were the greatest commandments, if the most important thing you can do is to love God and to love each other and also to love yourself. Scripture never tells us to stop loving ourselves. We just shouldn't love ourselves more than we love other people. When we begin to understand all of the gospel and everything through that, it kind of changes our understanding. We also talked about the gospel, where the gospel is not just that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. Those are, that is good news. We often point to the use of the, the word, the Greek word euangelion, or they're just often used to say good news. We point to Paul as the one who used that. And when Paul was talking about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, he's quoting Isaiah and Nahum. Nahum's quoting Isaiah, in which they're talking about a time when God's people were in exile and they were able to go home. It was good news that they got to go home. And for us, the good news, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he rise from the dead? Why did he offer us salvation? It wasn't just to go to heaven. It was so that we can return to the place for which God created us. Those are important things. We unpack those a great deal in Rooted. would love for you to go back. You can find those on our website or on iTunes. Um, And we also do this all through the lens of Jesus' description of what it means to have a relationship with him, namely that he is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure buried in the field. If you have been at Journey for a while, you know I am wearing this out and have been for quite some time. I believe the greatest problem we have in the church is that we view Jesus as our Savior for a heaven in our minds that does not need him. 
But what he says is, I am the treasure. And, and this treasure is so valuable that when you find it, you're going to get rid of everything you have because this is so good. Jesus is our treasure, and as we understand him being the pearl of great price, what we're going to be talking about through rhythms is, I'm really talking to those people who have found that treasure. They have found that pearl. It is not simply this thing we do because this is what we've always done. It's not simply, I want to go to heaven if, when I die. If there is, in fact, a heaven, I want to cover my bases. But instead, we have come to the place to say, I have found the thing that matters most in life. And we want to talk about how do we get into that? How do we more fully experience him? How do we experience the supernatural and the profound? Not the supernatural in the sense that we may sometimes talk about it, but we'll unpack that a little bit today and over the next few weeks. And ultimately, I, as we have also been talking about, to become like Christ is our ultimate goal. It is our ultimate goal. But if we're going to become like Christ, in Christ's own words, he said, what this is going to look like is, you are going to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and you're going to love each other as much as you love yourself. This is what it's going to look like to become like Christ. So, rhythms is all about becoming like Christ. So today is kind of an intro, and then I'm going to share with you some of the rhythms that we're going to talk through. But the idea of rhythms that would be maybe different from some of the studies you have been a part of where we've talked about spiritual disciplines. I hate the word spiritual disciplines, not because it's a bad phrase, because it's, it's, it's biblical language. I hate what it has come to mean for so many, which is a very legalistic list of do's and don'ts. And if you don't do the do's, and if you do the don'ts, then God's going to be mad and you're going to be in trouble and you may get kicked out of heaven. <laughs> you know, you've got to be disciplined, which is a core biblical value. But rhythms are not so much about if you don't do this, you're in trouble. Rhythms are about developing healthy patterns within your life that lead you to the place that you become more like Christ. Now, we each have rhythms already built into our lives. Your daily life has some kind of rhythm already. There are certain things that you do every day. And if you're not happy with where you are in life, you can probably blame your rhythms. You are perfectly suited, as many have said, to live the life that you're living right now. If you want to experience Christ more fully, then you have to look at how you are living out rhythms within your life. You probably have the same routine. Who, who has the same routine when they get up every morning? All right, Probably most people, and at night, right? At, you, you have certain routines that you do. I don't know about you, but I have a certain morning routine that I do that involves the gym. And if I miss the gym, my whole day is messed up. I don't know what your thing is, but you probably have one of those things in your life too. If, and some, it's coffee. Like we joke about Deidre's mom, her mom. If she hasn't had her coffee, then you need to stay away. You need to keep your mouth shut and you need to not have any opinions about anything. After she's had her third cup, you can begin to make some small, quiet noises in the corner. But until that point, you're just taking your life in your hands if you say anything before she's had enough coffee. We all have our rhythms. Now, I grew up in a very conservative uh, church, and I'm very thankful 
for all that I learned and for that church family that I grew up in. But there were four rhythms that we pretty much focused on, and you knew what the rhythms were because if you were following them, you had a list of them on your offering envelope. Did anybody have the offering envelope with the check boxes? Yes, you did. I grew up with those too, and they generally had something to do with reading your Bible and praying and giving some money and maybe sharing your faith with somebody. And if you were covering those rhythms, then you were good. The, the problem is, those only scratch the surface. And a lot of times, whenever we take those as, well, I better do these things. I mean, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be good with God, or he's going to be unhappy with me, or I've got a, a medical test coming up, and I really want him to intervene. And, and if I don't make sure I do those four or five things, he may not intervene. The problem with that thinking is it, it puts God in a place where God never meant to be in your life. The person that's going to tell you every second and every moment whether you're acceptable to him. And the reality is, as we look through scriptures, we understand the incredible grace and mercy that God has given us. You are acceptable to God because you bear his image and because you have found that he is the pearl of great price in your life. Now, rhythms are not about you better do this or else. Rhythms are are about the ebbs and flows that come and go, that maybe today you did it, or maybe today you didn't, but you have built this rhythm that this is a part of my life. I may miss a day of reading Scripture, but Scripture reading is a rhythm of my life. It is a, a part of what I do every day. If I miss a day, I don't feel bad like God's mad at me because I know this is a rhythm that's a natural part of my life, and it's invaluable to me. Some of the other rhythms are rhythms maybe you haven't considered one, one that uh, Henry Nouwen says is perhaps the most transformational in all of your life is that of silence or solitude. It is very difficult to experience transfer, transformation in your life if you're not experiencing the rhythm of silence and solitude within your life. Now, some of you, you're like, yes, I'm for it. I'm for a life of silence and solitude. I've been trying to get people to stop talking to me for years. They still do. So if you've got a way to keep people from talking to me and engaging with me, tell me. That's not exactly what silence and solitude is. But just as Henry Nouwen says, you cannot actually transform in a, in a really incredible way without it. We're going to be talking about the rhythm of guidance. Richard Foster, who wrote probably some of the groundbreaking stuff and more of our modern context on rhythms and spiritual disciplines, said that the most radical rhythm you can develop in your life is that of guidance. That is the ability to hear from God and to obey his word, which if you know anything about the Holy Spirit, you know that that's one of the things the Holy Spirit helps us with. These rhythms, they develop within us but there's more than four. And when we do these rhythms because we better or we're in trouble, then they fail to have the moment and place in our lives that they are supposed to, which ushers us into the, the, the presence of God. And instead, they become just another list that we better do or we're in trouble. So I want to distinguish between disciplines as you may have experienced them before and rhythms which are going to become a natural flow of what you do in your life. And then what can we expect from this? Now, where do I get some of this stuff that I'm talking about? Well, we're going to go through a few scriptures today. We're going to be primarily focused in 1 Timothy 4 today. But 1 John 5, 3, this is what uh, the Apostle John said. For this is the love of God, 
that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Well, that sounds pretty legalistic, doesn't it? We keep his commandments. But this is what Jesus said it means to keep his commandments in Mark 12. He says, when asked what are the greatest commandments, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is where we understand that the point of the life of a follower of Jesus is to grow in our ability to love God and to love others. That's going to create some struggles because sometimes I'm not loving, right? I know that's a surprise for those of you who know me, but I dare say that everyone in this room has somebody in their life that would say, yeah, they're not always that loving either, right? This is why forgiveness is such a part of the Christian life. We can do our very best to be loving to the very best ability that we can. And the reality is when we love, that's from the perspective of God, not from the perspective of us. Sometimes we'll get it wrong. Sometimes what we think is loving is actually not loving. And in those moments, we need to ask and to receive forgiveness so we can continue on our journey to grow in our ability to do that. When talking about the Christian life, Jesus said this in Matthew 11. He says, come to me all who... Labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is so important for us to understand because when we begin to talk about practices to follow and grow deeper in your relationship with God, we have to be careful not to take a heavy burden upon ourselves, which is what legalism often does a burden that no one can shoulder. And sometimes we read these things, and I don't know about you, sometimes we read passages of scriptures and we're like, that sounds really good and that preaches really great, but I don't know how many people actually experience that. Are you in your life following Christ, experiencing a light yoke and an easy burden? Or do you sometimes find yourself giving yourself a hard time because I messed up and I didn't do everything just right and something's not going well and I'm just, oh, I'm just a mess and, oh, I just God cannot be happy with me. How could that possibly be a light yoke and an easy burden? It's a difference in the way we understand this in our kind of action-oriented, behaviorally-focused culture that we're in. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, in the same vein, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and this is not exactly a great translation, he is a new creation. And the reason that's not a great translation is because the tense of this sentence right here is not of something that has happened and is done in the past. It is in the process of happening and continuing to happen. So when we read this, it is more accurate to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is, a, is becoming a new creation. The old is passing away and the new is coming. It's the idea of process, of growth. doesn't matter where you are, it's where you're headed. This is the foundation for where we go when we understand what it means to develop healthy rhythms, which leads us to the question of how do we do that? <laughs> Should we read our Bible more? Yes, we should read our Bible more. But that's really not 
the whole answer. I, I interestingly decided, well, I think I'm going to boost this, and maybe some of you are here today because we, we had an ad out about this series, and I just thought, well, if this is the kind of thing that if you're not interested in this, like you won't respond, um, but if you're interested in this, it, it, you may want to get involved in, in this kind of study. And we had over, just in the area around our church, 3,000 people watched it. Now, they may have just scrolled and stopped while they sneezed and then scrolled on again. That's how Facebook works. But we had over 400 people decide to go visit our website because something about this piqued their curiosity. We got a number of comments. Most of them were incredibly negative. Some of them said something like, um, you should just preach the word. And I think, which word are you talking about? Because we're talking about the word of God that leads to life, not the word of God that leads to drive-by shaming, right? Which Christians are really good at. So what does it look like for us to grow in this? How do we do this? Does it happen automatically? Is it all by faith? Is there a prayer you should pray? Is there a three-step formula, which we love three-step formulas? Does it mean we have to do all the right things all the time? Oh, I sure hope not. And I really don't believe that's what Jesus was leading us toward. If you have your Bibles and you can follow along on Version, if you want to follow along on Version, the notes and some links for different ways to engage with our church um, is there. And then you can also um, sign up to bring stuff for the, the, the um, block party and submit some names. Lots of different things happening in our U, U Version today. But all of these notes that I'm sharing, not all, but most are there. And if you've never used Version before, it's a great tool. You can take your own notes. You can email notes to yourself. Um, it's really a great tool to use to continue the conversation. So how do we do this? We have to be careful to not jump onto the works bandwagon for me just to unload another list for you. It will do you no good for me to give you another list, a bigger list, another list that you will not be able to fulfill and that you will feel like a failure as a Christian later. This has been a problem in the church from the very beginning. In fact, we often read between Paul and James, are they disagreeing? Which they're not. But at times we think they're disagreeing because Paul is the champion and we love that he says we are saved by faith, not of our what? Somebody complete it. Not of our works because if we could do that, then we would be able to do what? Boast. Right. And then James, that, that took off. Like it doesn't matter what I do. I can do whatever I want. I've been saved by grace. Paul had to then kind of backtrack. <laughs> he had to go back and do a lot of writing, a lot of letters that said, wait, 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 wait. That does not mean you just get to go out and do whatever you want. James picked up on this, and James says, yeah, you say you're saved by grace without works, but I show you my faith by my works, which is seemingly a a subtle difference, but it's really a, a significant difference that goes back to motive. Why do I do these things? Do I do them because I've experienced the pearl of great price? Or do I do them because some preacher told me I better or God will be mad at me? So there's a great difference there. Well, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. And Paul is writing to Timothy, a friend, a young pastor, a lot of young believers like Timothy because Paul says to him, don't let any of those old people uh, look down on you because you're young. You know, just keep preaching the word. Timothy was a young man, and he was strong in his faith. 
and he knew that Timothy was going to experience all kinds of struggles in his own ministry as he's starting churches, just as Paul was. And this is what he says to Timothy, undoubtedly because Timothy at some point has written to Paul and said, listen, I got to tell you what this is like. Let me tell you, you put a bunch of pastors in a room together and you let them talk unfiltered without any recording devices in the room. And you'd be, you'd be surprised at some of the things pastors talk about and what they deal with. I imagine that happened with Timothy and Paul as well. And so Paul, in his wisdom, just and talks to Timothy or writes him a letter and he says this. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, this word training is the same Greek word we get our English word gymnasium or gym. So it's really not necessarily a spiritual word. It's just a word that says the place where you would expect people to go to do some training, to go and work out, to go and begin a practice of getting their body to do the things that it currently cannot do do, whether that's to get stronger or more flexible or to do some of the things we've seen Olympic athletes do over the last couple of weeks. They didn't just step out and decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go jump off a high dive (laughs) and it's going to be glorious. You know, I did that one time. It was not glorious. Let me tell you, I'm going to go and I'm going to just jump off this trampoline and I'm going to fling myself in the air Uh, right across this big log, and then I'm going to do some little, you know, twirly things up in the air, and then I'm going to land on my feet. Okay, y'all, here, you know, that's one of those hold my beer kind of moments, right? You hold my beer, and here I go. Uh, Are the paramedics on standby, you're right? You, You go to train and to prepare yourself to do the things that you have not yet been doing. The toiling and striving he talks about, let me just be very, very careful here. We, we can, he says in verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive. Again, I want to create a differentiation between God is placing this heavy burden to do everything just right. And see, look right there, Paul even says it. This is toil and striving for this. He, he's actually not talking about the rhythms at this point. For toiling and striving, he's talking about the work they're doing, which is planning churches and telling people who don't know about Jesus about Jesus pearl of great price. To this end, we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably at some point been stuck. Some people today are stuck. I I, I get my inbox full of consultants telling me how to get people unstuck and how to keep people from leaving the church or leaving their faith or how I can go from you know, 100 people this week to 1,000 people next week. The reality is that stuff typically doesn't work if you're going to actually lead people to follow Christ. We get stuck for a number of different ways. And when we get stuck, Paul and Jesus and the apostles teach us how to get unstuck. You may be going to church every week. You may be giving. You may be reading your Bible. 
You may be praying just like when I grew up. You've got the big four or five in your life and you're doing those things. And yet there are times when you feel like God is more distant than he has ever been. In those moments when we get stuck, there are different reasons why we get stuck. Some of them are, one, we just don't know where to start. No one ever really helped us know where to start. Jeremy, I'm a couple of, I skipped that slide, by the way. I'm a couple ahead of you where we get stuck. There we go. I've got a lot of notes, Jeremy. I mean, you, I'm, you're going to be in the gym this morning, by the way, just so you know. We don't know where to start. No one ever taught us. There are people around the world that have incredible supernatural experiences through the Holy Spirit that lead them to know Christ. That don't, at least we don't hear about them happening here. We hear about all kinds of ways in which the Holy Spirit is supposed to seek us out and convict us and draw us to God and hear that little voice that's saying, I'm here to be with you. Our missionaries from around the world will say, I was walking down the street and someone came up to me and said, I had a dream and Jesus was there and you were there and Jesus told me to come talk to you. So I wanted to come talk to you. And we have missionary after missionary after missionary saying, we have these experiences and we lead this person to Christ. It's amazing the supernatural power of what God is willing to do to go after the lost sheep. It's amazing what he will do. Sometimes we just don't know where to start. You just don't have anybody in your community, or you just don't know any scripture. You're like, okay, I have this thing. I don't know what to do. And in those moments, we can get stuck. Sometimes you do have scripture, and you've been a believer for a while, but something happens within your life, and you're just like, I don't know what to do in this moment. Like, I knew what to do before, but now I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck. One of the reasons I believe that uh, young families tend to re-enter uh, a, a pursuit of their faith whenever they have kids is because once you have your first child and then you go home and, and that kid is laying on your bed and the two parents are at the end of the bed looking at it, you know, the kid and each other and like, I don't, know, I don't know what to do now. Like, I don't know what to do here. You know, the third one, you have a babysitter, right? Come home from the hospital, they're delivered. Hey, can you? Can, we want to go out to eat. That was a hard delivery. Can you come babysit our three-day-old here? Not really, but you know, things get easier after you've had more than one. But that first one, you look at each other and you're stuck. You're like, I don't know what to do. They told us what to do. We have the right size diapers. Could be a place where you're just at a different place and you don't know where to start. Another reason we get stuck is we we know where to start, but we really never intended to follow Jesus in the beginning. I mean, we want the good stuff, you know? I want the goodie bag. I, I want heaven, and I want God to rescue me, and I want him to make sure no bad things happen to me, and I'm going to stay well for the rest of my life. But, you know, all that other stuff, like I'm saved by grace. You know, I don't worry about any of that other stuff. And there are a lot of people today that really have no intention of following Jesus. They really just don't have any intention to, and they're going to get stuck. And many times these are those people that are walking away from the church. They give up, like, I don't care. Like maybe something's going to happen when I die, but for right now, it's never been about the pearl of great price. It's just been about what I kind of get out of this thing. What Jesus was saying with those parables was, you get me. You get me. You still get sick. Bad things still happen. But you have me. Which is why the pearl of great price is such a great parable, why I love it, talk about it all the time. Sometimes we don't train because... We never really intended to train. Sometimes I go to the gym and I'm just tired. I don't know if you all do this. You all probably don't, but I do it. 
I get tired. I, I sometimes pull into the parking lot and I sit there, pull out my phone, check Facebook. Oh, that's a cool video. Oh, that next one's cool too. And that one. Oh, 30 minutes later, I'm not going in. I pull right back out of the parking lot. Does anybody ever do that? No, you, of course you don't. But I do, just so you know. But I'll feel it the next week, maybe even the next day. I'll feel it. When we don't train, we don't grow. We've been watching the Olympic athletes, and I mean, they're just, they just do things that shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to do, right? You shouldn't be able to run that fast. You shouldn't be able to bend in that way. You just shouldn't be able to do those things. But they have trained time and time and time again for that. Sometimes within our life we get stuck and we just get a little afraid of what we're, we're going to do and maybe we just stop training altogether and then while we think we're on fire for God, really we're not. I ran across, and maybe some of you ran across this. I'm going to show this little video. You heard of the average games? A couple of you have. Here's a few excerpts from those who did not put in the training to make it to the Olympics. But had we had some games for those that didn't train, they might look a little like this. Okay, here we go. Elite Average Games highlights brought to you by Sportsbet. Let's start at the pool where Australia's rigs out combo were up against it. Yeah, they needed to pull something big out of their budgies, JB, and did they ever. A huge silly salmon into a horsey. There was water everywhere. They've spent years perfecting that technique, and look at the splash factor. They almost broke the thing. Showers of gold for Australia. Over at the Tracky Dakin Field, it was the Slippery Sam O'Keefe Show, just smashing world records for fun in the sock slide. I thought she was going to slide out of the stadium, JB, but then she came back and won the gold in the knee slide as well. Yep, the first Aussie woman to do the slide double at an elite average games. On your sock. It kept getting better at the forgotten grocery bag lifting. Russia disqualified. Unexpected item in the bagging area. He tried to put that abo through as a brown onion and got busted. Then it was a clean-up in aisle gold. Bluey McDonald with a gut-busting 32 items to take the chocolates. And saved himself 45 cents. And who could forget this? Into the bend. Oh, no! The Dutchman's hit the deck. There's a pile-up. Call the council. Flynn's hit the front. Go, go, go. I look at the elite average games medal tally, and yep, the Aussies still on top. <laughs> oh my goodness, the last one. I almost didn't show you this video, but that last guy, the, the picture of shock and elation in his face at one time. Oh my gosh, it's too funny. Richard Foster said, he said, what we don't need in this time of superficiality today, what we don't need are more intelligent people, what we don't need are more talented people, what we need are deep people. Those who are putting in the time to do the training. They intend to follow Jesus. They have found the pearl of great price. And what they intend to do with the rest of their life is spend their lives pursuing him and developing these healthy rhythms that Jesus and the apostles talk about so that they can experience him more fully every day. Another reason we get stuck is that we confuse knowledge about God to be intimacy with God. And the scripture is very clear. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
We sometimes think because I know a lot about Jesus, I really know him. And yet there are all kinds of people that we know a lot about them, but it doesn't mean we know them. Or they may know a lot about us, but that doesn't mean they know us. There's a difference in knowing him and knowing about him. That's one of the reasons that we can read so much scripture and that scripture can have no effect on us whatsoever. Another reason we get stuck is because we confuse doing the right things with being the right kind of person. And while this may seem like that doesn't seem like that big of a difference, there's a huge difference. I'm doing this because I have to, or I'm doing this because this is who I am now. Those are very different ways of living our lives. Sometimes we get stuck because we believe that because we are learning about God, we are growing, and that doesn't mean that we are. Some of those comments we received about this series being just preach the word, some, there's some truth to that. Like God's word will not come back void, but sometimes it's just lazy when we use scripture, but we actually don't let it ever change us. God is quietly inviting you to experience him more fully, and it's always quietly. I, like, I know many of you sometimes pray, God, if you have a two before, now's the time to use it. Beat me upside the head because I need to know what you're thinking right now. And yet time and time again when we hear from God, when we hear about God speaking to people, it is always very, very quietly, which is one of the reasons silence and solitude is such an important rhythm to develop within your life. So how do we do this? read just a few more verses in 1 Timothy 4. It says, until I come, Paul's talking to Timothy again, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has given, was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Verse 15 says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I love the picture of immerse yourself in this. Don't simply talk about it. Don't think about it every now and again, but immerse yourself in this. In the Old Testament, when parents were encouraged on how they should teach their kids, they said, take God's word that you have and strap it to your body and have it everywhere so that you think about it all the time. This is one of the reasons that they wore cloaks with long tassels, and they would wrap them around their fingers because the knots on the tassels reminded them of God's word that they had in the Torah. Immerse yourself. In the Old Testament, it was literally clothe yourself in this. This is probably the biggest difference in those who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, and those who don't. Those who immerse, and those who just have a little extra on the side. Practicing and immersing ourselves in this means developing rhythms that help us grow. I didn't come up with this phrase, but I need to figure out where it's from and give them credit. But They said rhythms are the gospel in motion in our lives. Oh, that was so good. See, salvation is a decision. And 
If you're like me, you probably heard someone say something to the effect of, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Which is all absolutely true because all of that is absolutely in the Bible. That leaves out so much. That leaves out so much. Sometimes we'll say, if you want to know Jesus, all you do is you need to say this simple prayer. And then they leave and they said the prayer and they're done. That's not how it works. Salvation is not just a decision. It is a decision. You have to make a decision. It is a commitment. You have to make a commitment. But salvation is a lifestyle. It changes us inside and out. We are becoming a new creation. It doesn't happen simply by a decision. We have to be transformed. Before I close, some of the rhythms that we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks. Next week, we're going to be talking about the rhythm of guidance. Gratefulness is another of the rhythms. Curiosity or daydreaming is a rhythm. Directed, I will say. We'll talk more about that. Silence and solitude is an incredibly important rhythm. Prayer is a rhythm. Fasting and generosity are rhythms. Meditation, contemplation, and study in the sense of how that relates to our relationship with God, not just in general. Simplicity and frugality is a rhythm. Worship, submission, celebration. We're going to spend a week, and we talked a little bit about this last week as we wrapped up Rooted, but suffering is also a rhythm of following Christ. We sometimes think suffering means you've done something wrong, but suffering is actually a rhythm in following Christ. We're going to be talking about the, the rhythms of loving and forgiveness, sacrificing and serving, Confession, which is so crucial. Confession is not just so everybody knows our junk. Confession is because we live lives that keep no secrets. Keep no secrets. And fellowship is a rhythm of life because we were never meant to do life alone. We're going to unpack these. We're not going to do a a week for everyone. It's going to take us a little time to go through each of the rhythms. And as we do them, my goal is not that you'll say, oh, Gosh, I did three of them this week. Oh, look at all the ones I didn't do this week. That is not the progression that we're going to go through. These are things for you to learn and to continue to grow through. Take the ones where you're at and begin to develop a rhythm within your life. We'll talk more about how do we do that for each one. Following Jesus is as much about loving what you are becoming as it is committing to be different from who you used to be. Say that again. Following Jesus is as much about loving what you are becoming as it is committing to be different from who you used to be. I spent a good part of my Christian life trying not to do the bad things. But the beauty and the easy yoke and the light burden comes when I am loving what God is doing in my life. I am motivated to continue the rhythms, not because God will be mad at me if I don't, but because I love what they are doing within me. And if you know, and let me be very clear from the beginning, if you know me, I do not share these with you from the perspective of someone who's got them all nailed. Some of these rhythms, man, I'm doing really well on. Some of these rhythms, I need to be a little more intentional. Some of them I need to be a lot more intentional. 
that these are things that I have found and that Christians for 2,000 years have found to be incredibly helpful to experience God more fully within their lives. We'd been spend so much time trying to prove ourselves to a God who consistently says, I love you. We spend so much time trying to get everything just right to a God who says, but you can't get everything just right. At least not yet. We spend so much time trying to prove ourselves to God so that he will not be upset with us when really what God is saying is, come, taste and see that I am good. Find rest for your souls. Experience the fullness in your life. Next week, we're going to talk about guidance. Again, this is the one that Richard Foster said is the most radical of all the disciplines. We're going to start there. The rhythm of guidance also gives us the foundation for every other rhythm that we'll be able to follow through. It's something that you're probably to some degree already practicing. Maybe you need to know that's what you're practicing, and maybe you need to be a little more intentional about it. I hope you'll stay with us. I hope you'll join us throughout this series. And I'd also like to hear how those who take this and really work with it and practice it and experiment with it and just say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing as I'm, I'm making these rhythms a part of my life. I'd love to hear from you. So as we end today, we are going to take communion together. And I believe the worship team is going to come back up or some of the worship team is going to come back up. Two of us or two are coming back up. We're going to take communion together. Now, if you're our guest, we're still doing communion a little differently than we normally do. We're using our little disposable cups. And as they play, I would invite you to come up and pick up one of these uh, little chalices, or I don't know what they're called. They call them chalices. That sounds really formal for what they really are. Yeah. There's a tray in the middle of each table with some little lines of print. You may not be able to read because it's a little dark up here, but those are gluten-free if you need gluten-free. All the rest that are just around the tray are just normal. Um, but I'm going to invite you as they're, pl- they're playing to come up and take one of those. And I, I, and I want us to take communion this morning in the understanding that you are loved, you bear the image of God, and you are invited to fully experience God in your life, not just when you die, but today right now, every day of your life. The reason we do communion, Jesus said, was because you need to remember what I'm doing for you because I am bringing you into my family. And I don't want you to forget how great my love is for you or how important being made new really is. It cost Jesus' life. So as we, as we play... Um, I would encourage you to come up, take one if you want to get some for your family or those that you're with and take them back. Come get those and then once everyone is seated, we'll take communion together.
All right. Everyone here in this room is in a different place in life. And the beautiful thing about God and his love for you is he meets you where you are, who you are, even if you feel like there's no one else on this planet quite like you. He meets you where you are and he loves you. As we take this communion, I my prayer is that you will take a few moments to remember that Christ has forgiven our sins. He bore the cost of our sins on the cross. Because he was God, he rose from the dead so that we could be saved and we could experience eternal life with him. But I also would hope that in this moment, you would experience the presence of God in a way that you haven't before. One in which you're fully accepted, fully loved, fully cared for. Someone who's invested in your yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. You are on his mind constantly. And he loves you. On the bottom is, you can peel back the layer, and there's a little square cracker in there. You would take that out first. When Jesus was eating with the disciples, they were practicing the Passover, which was reminding them of their deliverance from Egypt. And he said, I want you to continue doing this, and I want you to do this in remembrance of me. It was not about a deliverance from Egypt. It was about a deliverance from sin, and more potently, it was about an invitation to return to the place for which God had created us to be. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And if you peel the top, the juice, and Jesus said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Don't just take you as in everyone, you as in you. Take and drink. This is my blood that is shed for you. Father, I thank you for all those that are in this room, for those who are joining us online, and those who will join us in the next few weeks. Lord, I pray that you would help us to experience who you are in truth and in your fullness. I pray that you would teach us through the words of your apostles, through the words of Jesus, and through the words of those throughout the Old Testament, so that we can more fully come to not only know you, but to experience you every single day. Thank you for the great gift of Jesus, his life, his teachings, the gift of his life on the cross for us, so that we could be restored and returned to what you had originally created us to be, to know you, to love you fully, to love ourselves, and to love others. Help us to grow in these things today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you for being here with us today. I hope you'll join us next week. And I hope you have a blessed day. Remember, kickball, kickball players, 745 Rivermont Fields. It's not going to rain, so we are playing tonight.